Ephesians 3, getting close to the end. So hopefully you'll be with us at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. Rebecca's leaving in just a couple of weeks for her missions trip to Hawaii. So we just want to take a, a, a moment here and uh, have a prayer for her and for her ministry there. So if you will pray with me. Father, thank you for our sister Rebecca. And we thank you for her willingness and her submission to, um, to serve you in this mission to Hawaii. We know she's been there a couple of times. We pray that you would uh, just give them all the logistical smoothness that these uh, trips require. And we pray most importantly, though, for the going forth of the gospel. We pray that uh, it would be proclaimed accurately and clearly and with power and uh, that uh, your name would be praised as a result and that you would uh, grow this young woman into, um, into the woman that you'd have her to be in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you will, stand with me now for the reading of our scripture today. Which is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we are coming to you again this morning. And we thank you that you have given us your word. And I pray that we would know the value of your word, that we would, by the power of your spirit, comprehend, understand, and live out the truths that you show us today. And may the words that are spoken, the words that are heard, God, be your words. And may it sow good seed deep into fertile soil. And may it produce a fruit of righteousness to the praise of your glory. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, find ourselves today in the last passage of 2 Peter, which will draw to a close our study of 1 and 2 Peter. Anybody know when we started this study? It's back in September of 2022. Um, I really didn't think it would take us this long to get through these letters, but I'm not mad or nothing for me. Just an observation. And we have seen some stuff in these two letters, haven't we? I tell you, man. Um, I've been very pleasantly surprised by all that has been brought to light through this study. Just a testimony to the goodness of all the scriptures, I suppose. 
We'll start here today in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Um, so starting here, of course, we start with a therefore. So what preceded this therefore? Well, if you remember last week, Peter was talking about the coming, dissolving of the current heavens and earth and the promise of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we saw last week. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these... Peter's about to call his readers, us and the recipients of this letter, to action. He's going to call them to action in light of this new heavens and this new earth where righteousness dwells. Since you are waiting on these, the righteousness filled new heavens and new earth, therefore. So if if you know and you have the promise of a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, you've got a promise of that coming, so then what? How should you react? How should you respond? What should you be doing? That's what Peter's addressing here. Um, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. And I would just ask this question just simply. Are you waiting for these? Since you are waiting for these, therefore what? Well, beloved, Peter says, and he's called them that times before, right? He loves these people. And I think if, if we lived in Peter's time or if Peter lived in ours, he would call us beloved as well, by the way. Well, beloved, Peter says, since you're waiting for these new heavens, this new earth, therefore, kick back. Take it easy. The promise is sure. The promise is true. You don't have to do anything. Therefore, be diligent. Whatever he's calling them to, which we'll see in just a little bit, he's calling on them to exert some energy as they're waiting. This is not passive waiting. This is participatory waiting. Therefore, be diligent. The Greek word for be diligent is spudazo. Happens 11 times in the, in the authorized version. It's translated as endeavor. Do diligence, be diligent, give diligence, be forward, labor, and study. And it means to hasten, to make haste, to exert oneself to endeavor and to give diligence. So we've seen this word in Peter's writings before, 2 Peter 1.10 and in 2 Peter 1.15. In 1.10, Peter called on his recipients to be all the more diligent to confirm their calling and election. And then in 115, he says he will make every effort. He will be diligent so that they would be able to recall what he's saying after his death. So there's a definite tone of Peter's in this whole letter to make sure that the need for diligence is clearly and consistently communicated. Well, here, back in our passage today, he's calling on them and us in light of this coming new heavens and new earth He's calling on them to be found by Him, capital H-M, which is God, to be found, be diligent, to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. So there's a little bit to unpack here. 
Be diligent to be found without spot. Be diligent to be found without blemish and be diligent to be found at peace. There's a new heavens and a new earth that will be created, I guess really recreated, after these ones are dissolved. So, what? Now, listen. We are surely called to rest in the finished work of Jesus in the past on our behalf and, and, not but, and we are called to be diligent in light of what's coming in the future. I don't miss that. Rest in the surety of what's been done and what's waiting for you, the past and the future, and be diligent now. And be diligent to do what? To be found without spot or blemish and at peace. And this is really good. He's calling on them to be what James would call doers of the Word. He's calling on them and us to work hard to keep from sinning. He's calling on them to be holy in a practical way, in an experiential way. We are holy in the eyes of God. We have been given the gift of holiness, but here He's calling on them to be holy, to do holiness, and to partake of the divine nature that has been given to them, which He had mentioned back in chapter 1. He's telling them basically, and us, to work hard to make sure that they are working out what God has worked into them. This is sanctification in action. I love this here. Commentator Clive Anderson says that sanctification is positional, progressive, and participative. And here, Anderson says, is Peter calling on his readers to participate in their journey to be more like Jesus. He says it this way. Christians are not to be passive, but active in pursuing holiness. We're not just to lie back and let it happen, but are to work out our salvation, Philippians 2.12, which we'll look at later. We are also to help others in their Christian pilgrimage. An eternal perspective is required. Do not live just for the here and now, but look forward to this great day of the Lord. And then Anderson closes his statement by saying this, an old saying can help us in understanding this. And here's the saying, quote, a quote within a quote. I cannot work my soul to save, for that my Lord has done. But I will work like any slave for love of God's dear Son. End of quote, end of quote. Since God has done all that He's done, and we have all that we need, and since everything here is to be burned up and then will be made new in perfect righteousness, therefore, be diligent to make sure you don't roll around in the dirt you're surrounded by. Be diligent to avoid spots and blemishes, which is sins. God has put His garment of holiness on you. Work hard to not get it dirty. And yet, don't miss the command. Be diligent. Work hard. Give your energy to this. And in a rare message paraphrase, quote here, I love how the message paraphrases this. He says, So, my dear friends, since this is what you have to look forward to, 
Do your very best to be found living at your best in purity and peace. The Net Bible uses the word strive here. And those wordings give us a clear picture. Be diligent. Do your very best. Strive. It's focused, purposeful expenditure of focused energy. Work hard, church. Work hard, individual Christian, to be clean. Not to cleanse yourself, but to be clean. To be pure. You do that. God has done what He has done. Now you do this. And, Peter says, work hard, be diligent, do your best, strive also to be found at peace. And I love this. Yes, work hard to be pure as you wait for this new creation. And be diligent. Expend your energy to be found at peace. Work hard to be found at peace. Jesus is coming back to judge the ungodly, and He's coming back to reward and dwell with His people. It is the lazy, wicked servant, Jesus said, who fears His Master's return. It's the diligent, faithful servant who is looking up the road and sees His Master coming and rejoices because they're at peace with the Master coming back. There is a peace that comes with obedience. How many times as a kid were you like, oh no, there's mom and dad. Or, oh no, there's my mom. I was supposed to get in a fight one time with a kid in junior high. I was like this big. And anyway, it didn't happen, thank God. Uh, and, and my mom came up the road. Somehow, Martin Moore knows everything. Omniscient, I'm telling you. She found out from somebody that's supposed to get in a fight. My mom shows up. I'm like, yeah, your mom's here. I'm like, oh. But... I was not at peace because I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do and I was afraid because mom showed up. Listen, when I'm like being diligent and cleaning my room and doing good stuff, oh, there's mom. I want her to see what I'm doing. Work hard to be found at peace. When the master shows up and you're like, there he is. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. There is a peace that comes with obedience. Peter says to work hard so that when the Master returns, He will find you being diligent without spot or blemish and will thus reward you. Now there's also a call here to know that in all your working, you are being kept for this return. Peter had spoken in 1 Peter of all that God has done to save us and all that He's doing to keep us. And there was some great word there in early 1 Peter. There is a peace in knowing these things as well. So, work hard to be found at peace when this world dissolves and then is reassembled in perfect righteousness. There's a ton more here, but we've got to keep moving. Verses 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. Oh man, (laughs) there's so much here. A lot, a lot, a lot here. First off, Peter revisits this mindset we saw last week about God not being slow in keeping His promises. 
Last week in verse 9, Peter had said that the slowness was so that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So here, Peter then says to count the patience of our Lord as salvation. His waiting, God's waiting, is not Him slipping or forgetting or diverting from the plan, but rather, His waiting is literally going to result in salvation for those whom He calls through the completion of His plan. So instead of looking at the long time as a thing to be lamented, look at it as God being patient to accomplish His plan to save His people. Which means we've got to change our way of thinking here to line up with God's plan. Don't expect God to change His plan to alleviate your anxiety about how long it's taking Him. Because He's not going to do that. God's plan of salvation is eternally fixed in the heavens And as it plays out here on earth, we need to change our way of thinking. We need to see things from His perspective and repent of our perspective. Herb Hodges says vision is seeing things from God's point of view. And I say yes, that. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Look at the long time God has and will take and rejoice in His perfect plan of salvation. So, don't look at it and go, man, this is taking forever. Say, man, God is being patient and God is working salvation all this time. That's a whole different way of looking at things. Now, Peter kind of jumps to a different vein of thought in his processing God's plan of salvation. Look what he says next. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Okay. So in mentioning God's patience and his plan of salvation, Peter mentions what someone else has written about that same thought pattern. Peter mentions Paul. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Now let's start there. So Peter refers to Paul, the Apostle Paul, as our beloved brother Paul. Back after Paul, which actually Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, after Paul had received his commission from Jesus directly to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, Paul went to Jerusalem to make sure that what he was preaching was consistent with the Apostles' doctrine. And he recounts this, Paul does, in Galatians 2. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I love Paul. Paul's like, I don't care what they are. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, which sounds like a good band name, by the way, throw that up. They, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So, Listen, this is very important. And in Peter's mentioning of Paul, 
Very important to understand. There was no division among the apostles in what was being preached. And so, Peter can call Paul our beloved brother. Paul's not doing a different work than Peter. Paul's not preaching a different gospel than Peter's preaching. Now they're going to different groups of people. Peter to the circumcised, to the Jews. And Paul to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles primarily. But they're not preaching anything different. So beloved brother means we're doing the same thing. We're in the same family. And then Peter says that Paul wrote to these same people that Peter's writing to now in his letter and says that Paul, quote, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And remember, Peter also says that what Paul wrote was just as Peter had just said. And this is what he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation is what he had said. And he's saying Paul wrote to you about these things too. Peter's saying that Paul wrote the same thing to them about the patience of the Lord being counted as salvation. And Peter says that Paul wrote in the wisdom that had been given to him. So this is attributing what Paul wrote to the gift of wisdom from whom? Who gave Paul that wisdom? Well, from God, of course. God had given Paul wisdom to write what he had written. And Peter says, Paul has been writing more letters than just to these folks that Peter's writing to as well. He says, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. Now, don't skip too quickly over that. Watch this. Peter's writing letters. Paul's writing letters. Other people are writing letters, we know, right? And they're addressing, quote, these matters. Now, watch this. Because it would seem that these letters that are being written were being not just read and filed away somewhere or thrown into the wastebasket, but it would seem that these letters are making their rounds. It's almost like these letters were being collected. It's almost like these letters were being compiled, stored up, shared, and taught among believers everywhere. Almost like God was purposefully building a collection of apostolic writing and teaching to instruct His people with. Gospels are being written at this time. Letters are being written. And God is making sure that His story is being conveyed not just to the limited audience of where the parchments were sent, but all through the known world at the time, all through history for all of God's people for all time. That's pretty cool stuff. Listen to me, church. It is no accident that you have the 27 books of your New Testament in the form that you have them. Amen. Or the 39 of the Old Testament either. Don't ever forget that. Anybody ever lose a letter somebody sent you? Misplace a book somewhere? I don't know which one of y'all have my books, but you've got them, and I never got them back. These letters didn't slip through the cracks. These letters didn't disappear. These letters didn't, oops, we, we lost that, we burnt that one. That one. None of that happened to any of these letters that we have in our New Testament. God knows what He's doing. And He preserved them for that early church and for us And he said, this is my word. And I'm going to give it to you so that you can know me. Even as these 
people, individuals, are writing letters, God is doing things so that we can know Him. And Peter addresses the fact that Paul's writing letters, Peter's writing letters, and he was like, these letters you've read too, and so have these other people. But there's an issue that Peter addresses too. There are some things in them. No, I didn't go back far enough. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, speaking of Paul's letters, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other, what's that word? Scriptures. Peter admits that some of what Paul writes in his letters, some of it's hard to understand. And 2,000 years later, we nod our heads and say, yay, verily, right? Now, I love the diversity of God. So Peter grew up as a Galilean fisherman. He didn't have much education. He didn't have the proper instruction nor the intellect of Saul of Tarsus. Paul was literally very much lawyer-like in his knowledge and presentation of God's Word. He probably had a large portion of our 39 books of the Old Testament right here. Coming, boom, boom, just recalling and citing. And so he's got this lawyer-like knowledge and a lawyer-like presentation of God's Word. Thinking about lawyer speak, again, I've asked this question before, do you really read the terms and conditions of all the things you have to agree to in order to do basically anything anymore? That tiny print written in lawyer ease that basically says in a lot of legal jargon that whatever company it is that you're trying to use their stuff, they can peer into your soul. That's basically what it says. They can take samples of your DNA if they want to. That, if you haven't read it, that's what it says. Trust me. But, but all that stuff is written by lawyers, right? They tell companies what needs to be said, and then the lawyers write it up for us to not consume. <laughs> but it's hard to understand. It's hard to take all that stuff in. Well, Saul the lawyer, or Paul the apostle is like that. And between his intellect, which was great, some people are higher intellect than other people. Some of us are just from Helen. We didn't go to the Ivy League, right? And between his intellect and the greatness of the revelations given to him, it was a little tough for him to dumb it down for us common folk. And Peter's like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it all either. It's a little hard to understand. Now, Peter does not say, don't waste your time working on it. He's simply saying some of it is going to take some diligence. Some of this stuff that Paul's writing is going to take some hard work and effort. And then throw in the fact that others are not being careful with it and you have a recipe for disaster. Peter says about some of Paul's difficult writings that, quote, the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And church, if ever there was a word for our time, it is this. So Peter is telling his readers that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. But then he's cautioning them that there's an issue with Paul's writings that is much more harmful than them being hard to understand. He says there are people in line with the false teachers and scoffers that he's already mentioned who are ignorant and unstable. And these people twist 
Paul's writings to their own destruction. So ignorant means exactly what it says. It means ignorant. It means untaught. They're not knowing. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know and haven't been taught what they're reading and what they're talking about. They're just reading going, okay, I get this. Which they don't. And unstable means they lack firmness or stability. They're shaky in what they don't know. And these people are taking Paul's writings, these letters that are circulating, and they're twisting them. They're making them say what they don't say. And they're not saying what they do say. They're taking things that are hard to understand, acting like it's no big deal, and explaining away what the Holy Spirit is seeking to communicate through Paul's writings. The word twist means to deceptively pervert. They're not being truthful about what Paul is trying to say. And they are spoiling the message that Paul's trying to convey. It's the old devilish did God really say being carried out with Paul's writings by ignorant people. And if those writings were just some letters Paul wrote to some random people, that wouldn't be such a big deal. But look at the end of the sentence. As they do the other Scriptures. Peter is literally, purposefully saying that these letters that Paul is writing are Scripture. Which means these letters are inspired by the Holy Spirit. These letters are the Word of God breathed out by the Holy Spirit Himself. That's a huge statement. Again, please know this. These early apostles knew that what they were teaching which was the collection of what Jesus had commanded to be passed down, they knew that their teaching was authoritative. They knew that what they were speaking was in a thus saith the Lord sense. Not thus saith Peter, not thus saith Paul, but thus saith the Lord. And so, for these ignorant, unstable people to get a hold of these teachings, some of which were hard to understand, and then to just torture the heck out of them, that's really bad news. And Peter wants to make sure, as he has this whole letter, and even for so much of the first letter, he wants to make sure that his readers are not led astray by these ignorant, unstable, Scripture-twisting wolves. So here, in the last paragraph of his letter, he's elevating the teaching and exposing the false teachers. And he's making sure that the recipients of the letter know that the end game for these deceivers is what? They twist to their own destruction. They twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. It's going to destroy them in the end. And the problem is it's going to destroy some of their hearers as well. And we saw this destruction thing last week with the heavens and earth dissolving and such, so we won't spend a lot of time there. And we've got a lot more to cover, so we move on to verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand... Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So we just talked about these people who are ignorant and unstable. You know what? Those ignorant and unstable people have a favorite band. You know what it's called? Twisted Scripture. (laughs) That's a Tim Hawkins joke, by the way. I stole that from him. Twisted Scripture. Anyway, we want to rock. Um... Couldn't help it. Anyway, Peter now turns his focus and attention onto not the scripture twisters, 
but rather onto his readers whom he does not want to get entangled in all of this twisting. You therefore, beloved, and again, there's that word again. He's called them that a few times before. His commands are couched in love. And he says that since they know that there are hard things in God's Word, including Paul's letters, and people will always be twisting what is said, therefore, well, therefore what? Therefore, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Again, they have a part to play. They have things to do and things not to do. First, they are to take care that they are not carried away. So that's kind of a thing to do and not to do. Take care. That means to be guarded. And think about that for a second. Be on your guard since you know there are going to be people who twist the Scriptures. This false teaching thing is a big deal. It was to Peter and it should be for us. Take precautions, individual. Take precautions, church, to make sure that you are watching out for false teaching. Take care and make sure that you are watching out for people twisting the Scriptures. Why? Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You see, if lawless people are taking the Word of God and presenting it like they know what they're talking about, but they don't, they are going to lead people astray, and that is dangerous. They're described as lawless. They are in error. You don't want to be carried away by them and their errors. One Greek word is translated as you are carried away with, and there's a not in there which negativizes it. But one word for you are carried away with. It's the word sunapago, and it means to be carried away by a thing, watch this, so as to experience with others the force of that which carries away. To experience with others the force of that which carries away. And what's carrying the twisters and those led astray by them? What's carrying them is false doctrine, twisted scripture. And to experience the force of that twisted Scripture is a terrible thing. It is so dangerous to be under the sway of the words of God used in a wrong or erroneous manner. It's like nuclear codes in the hands of terrorists type of dangerous. And I'm not exaggerating there. It's incredibly dangerous for Scripture twisters to be using the Word of God. And to be carried away with them is to feel the force of that twisted Scripture. The misapplied words of God. Because if you're taking misapplied or misunderstood words of God, you're not getting the real thing. And you're being led astray. You're being led into lawlessness. You're being led into rebellion to your God. And there's nothing worse in the universe than that. Literally. God, come on, it ain't that bad. It is that bad. False doctrine. Twisted Scripture. That's dangerous. The living Word of the omnipotent God in the hands of mercenaries seeking to take advantage of others is a disaster waiting for happen. Put a loaded pistol in the hands of a three-year-old. I want you to feel the weight of that. 
when you think, oh, I don't really like what some of that guy says in his teaching, but I like to hear him talk. Or he says a few things that really don't line up with the Scripture, but man, the rest of it's really good. Dangerous. You will feel the force of that which carries you away. You can't help it. It's dangerous. And Peter says to be on your guard because you are in danger of being carried away with their error. And then what? What happens if that happens? Then you lose your own stability. You exchange the sure, steady, safe ground of the presence and work of God and get a perpetual earthquake in their place. You open the door to questions that can't be answered and a hope that's not secure. If God didn't really say, if what He said can be interpreted to suit the desires of those interpreting, then everything's up in the air. There's nothing steady to stand on. Thank God, praise God, that there is an objective truth that we can stand firm on. And that doesn't change according to cultural tides. That doesn't change to people's expectations. But stays steady, sure, and strong in the midst of every storm, in the midst of every season, in the midst of every age and eon. Because, thus saith the Lord. So we have to, Peter says, be on our guard because fakers and deceivers are always going to be around and their errors can lead us down a path that we do not want to go down. You do not want to lose your own stability. Has God really said, yes, He has, chapter, verse, boom. Well, does that really mean that though? Yes, it does. How do you know that? Because I've been on my garden, I've studied to show myself approved, and thus saith the Lord. And you can't move me from this with all of your Scripture twisting. So be on your guard in light of knowing this, and don't lose your own stability. And then Peter ends his letter in verse 18 with one last instruction and a statement of praise. But... Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So we start to finish with that word. But, I wonder how many times we've seen that. I wonder how many times that word's in this letter. Don't be led astray and lose your own stability, but instead, do this instead. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't be led astray. Don't lose your own stability, but grow. To grow means to increase, to augment, to become greater in. And what are you to grow in? What are we to grow in? To increase in and become greater in. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to grow in the grace of Christ. We are to grow in the knowledge of Christ. So we are to not only not be led astray by false teaching. So okay, I'm not going that way. But we're not to stand still. We're to go this way. We're to sure ourselves up in and with the right, the good, and that which is true. And all the right, all the good, all the true stuff is found where? In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
In Him are found the inexhaustible resources necessary to sustain us and make us thrive. In the grace, in the knowledge. So what does it mean to grow in grace? It means to understand more of what the grace of God is all about. It means to receive more and more grace. It means to give more and more grace. Oh, to grace how great a getter daily I'm constrained to be. Get more grace. Give more grace. Comprehend more and more and more that God has graciously graced us with His grace so that we can give grace to those around us as we become more gracious like He is gracious. Grow in that grace. And yes, the very source and proof of that grace is literally our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus, the giver of grace. Because of Him and His saving sacrifice, we are forgiven of our sins, which is grace, and we are empowered to live to the praise of His glory, which is also grace. A long time ago, I don't remember what book we were in, gave a definition of grace, and we've used it a few times since, and I'm going to read it again. The Greek word is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S, which my writing um, autocorrected to charts. It's not charts, it's charis. And it means the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, this is grace, remember, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. And for that I would say, yes, grow in that. Also, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Get to know Jesus more and more and more and more. Grow in your knowledge about and of Him. And that's both informational and relational. Get to know Jesus. This coming week, my wife and I will celebrate our 27th wedding anniversary. I know her better today than I did when we first met. I know her better now than when we got married 27 years ago. Why? Because I've been with her. And I've talked to her. And I've listened to her. And I've watched her. That's what it means to get to know somebody. Right? And you never stop. I I haven't learned all there is to know about my wife. Husbands, can I get an amen? Yeah, that's right. You cannot... Know everything there is to know about Jesus. You can't reach a point where you're like, okay, nothing else to learn, nothing else to know. Further up, further in, more and more. I just want to know you more. I just want to get to know more about you. I want to hear more about you. I want to talk more about you. I just want to be in relationship with you more and more and more. Help me, Jesus, to know you better. Become more and more familiar with Him. Know who He is, how He works, what He loves, what He hates, what He's doing, what His will is, where He is, and every possible thing you can learn in your tiny, finite mind about this eternal, incomprehensible incomprehensible Savior who has given His life for us. And again, knowledge about Him and kinship and fellowship with Him. Grow in your knowledge of your Lord, your Savior, Jesus the Christ. And then Peter ends the book, the letter, with a statement of praise to this very same Jesus, His Lord and ours. To Him, Peter says, be the glory both now 
and to the day of eternity. Amen. People who know grace, people who know Jesus, will ascribe to Him glory. Glory is a right apprehension of who Jesus is. It is knowing Him and then giving Him praise for the knowledge of who He is and what He's done. To Him be the glory. It doesn't say to Him be some glory. To Him be a little bit of glory. To Him be the glory. Which means to Him be all the glory. Not some, not partial, the glory. Both now, which it always is now, right? And, and I love this phrase, to the day of eternity. One day, oddly enough, we will transition out of time and into eternity. That's going to happen on a day. It's like today, right? Maybe today is the day that we transition into eternity. Unless you're a premillennialist, then you're thinking, no, there's some things that's got to happen. <laughs> what? It's true. Tongue in cheek. There is a day when time will become eternity. All will be dissolved and then recreated and then one day eternity for us will begin if, if eternity begins. <laughs> when we enter into the forever state with the eternal God who has orchestrated it all to the praise of His glory. And He has worked and manufactured and designed things in such a way that for all eternity, He gets all the glory. And in that eternity, the songs that will be sung for all eternity will be giving the glory, the glory, to Jesus for saving us, for being our Lord and Master, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we, with Peter, as he ends his letter, say, Amen. So be it. Yes, indeed, is what you could say Amen means. Yes, yes. And I would say that's about the only way this letter and Peter's writings could have ended. Glory to Jesus. Amen. So, now we turn our attention to application from today's passage. Usually we alliterate, we, I, okay, I, I do that, y'all. <laughs> you got a part of that. That's not true, sometimes people help me. But, but instead of alliteration today, we're rhyming. Okay, it just worked out like incredibly perfect because God's really cool. We'll be looking at four rhyming words instead of four alliterated words in application. Show, slow, know, and grow. Show, slow, K-N-O-W, know, and grow. And these four points are based around the commands found in these verses, which made the application awfully easy to pick out. Okay, So the first application point is show. And the command was be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. So that's a command. Okay, Again, note that's imperative. You do this. And we talked about that back when we looked at that. Show. What does your life show about your faith in Christ? 
Are you walking around with spots and blemishes and saying it's not a big deal? Sin don't matter. I'm holy in God's eyes, so it don't matter. That's not the way this works. What does your life show about your faith in Christ? Are you living in such a way, Christian, listen, are you living in such a way that you are working hard to not sin? That's convicting to me. Am I working hard to make sure that those temptations that I experience have very hard times finding their way into my life? Or am I saying, eh, not a big deal? Or am I just going along and seeing what happens? Listen, we can't just go along and see what happens. We've got to work hard in the power that the Spirit provides in and through us to make sure that sin has an incredibly hard time finding its way into our lives. Do you have spots and blemishes that need worked on? You say, well, but, but I have been washed of all my stuff. Thank God that's true. In the eternal reality, we have been declared holy. We have been given the perfect righteousness of Christ as a gift and all of our sins have been taken away. That's absolutely true, scripturally. Now what are you doing about it? Are you living in such a way that you know that and are you living in such a way that you're expending all the energy that He gives you to show that? Is your physical life a right representation of the spiritual life that God has given you? Are you working hard to keep yourself clean? Not in a salvation mindset. Not working hard to keep your salvation, but working hard to show your salvation in freedom from sin. As we were doing the Lord's table there, Asa spilled some grape juice which all of us are scared to death of doing every week, right? Well, you should be scared, okay? Because grape juice stains. And if you don't care, guess what? You might get careless and you get spots and blemishes on you. Don't be careless. Be purposeful. Do everything you can in the power of the Spirit, in light of the holiness you've been given, to show that you're holy. Are you living in such a way that you're working hard not to sin? Also, are you living in such a way that you're marked by peace? So instead of spots and blemishes showing, is your peace showing? Your spots and blemishes have been removed. You have been given peace. Now be diligent to show that. And this is why I mentioned this passage earlier in... Therefore, my beloved, Paul says to the Philippians, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's really good to meditate upon. He's given you everything you need. Now do something with it. Because it's God who is at work within you 
And in the power that He provides, make sure that He's able to work out through you what He has worked into you. We get to cooperate with God Himself in our lives. To keep the spots and the blemishes away. And to show our peace in such a way that people are like, wow, hallelujah, what a Savior. Paul says this in Colossians 1, 28-29, Him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this energy, Paul says, I toil, I strive, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. His energy, His power, powerfully working within us so that it can powerfully work out through us. You be diligent to show that in your life. Individually and corporately. Working hard yourself and working hard with each other to show that we are without spot or blemish and at peace. So show, now slow. We won't spend much time here. We've talked about the last couple of messages. But we are to thank the Lord for His perfect plan that has spanned thousands of years and will continue until it reaches its perfect completion. The fact that Jesus waited 2,000 plus years to finish His plan, your salvation was in that time. You should thank Him for being slow. As far as we, we show slowness, Again, Jesus came, He lived, He died, He was buried, He was resurrected, He showed Himself alive. He could have just said, let's wrap it all up now. But He had a plan. And listen to me, that plan included you. And He said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until everybody comes. So yeah, it's slow to us. But we have to have that eternal perspective that we talked about last week. Not just our earthly, time-bound perspective. We too are to be patient. Seeing, knowing, and showing the same patience that He has shown to us. I love this thought. Therefore the Lord, Isaiah 30.18, waits to be gracious to you. And therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice... Blessed are all those who wait for Him. That's beautiful. Yeah, He's slow as we see slowness, but He ain't slow. He's patient. And so we celebrate the slowness of God. So again, that's all we're going to say there. Slow, oh sorry, show slow and know. K-N-O-W. Listen to me, church. Take care, Peter commanded, that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Two things here and know. Know your Bible and know your Lord. Stability is what God has given us. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that all that remains is what can't be shaken. Hebrews says. And that's exactly what God has given us. God has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Know that. Know that the Bible teaches that. Know that the Lord has accomplished that for us. 
And seek to maintain your stability by being on your guard against false teachers, against ignorant people who claim to know and understand the eternal things that they have no clue about. And this makes me shake in my crocs, y'all. I run the risk of misrepresenting God every time I stand up here and preach. I run the risk of being wrong about God. I run the risk of being wrong about biblical things and that is terrifying. Some people don't give a rip. Let me tell you what this means to me. Let me tell you what this means in our culture. Let me tell you what this means in light of the governmental changes that are happening. No. N-O. K-N-O-W. Know the eternal things. Be on your guard against false teachers. Listen, I'll say it again, and I know this seems like I just keep climbing up on this same soapbox. Be very careful every time you click onto the internet because there is a torrent, a flood of false teaching that you're opening yourself up to. Do not haphazardly just listen to somebody. Don't just haphazardly listen to me. And listen, if I say something that's out of line, confront me. Show me the biblical basis of why what I said was wrong. And hopefully by the Spirit of God, I'll repent in dust and ashes and say, oh my goodness, I said something wrong. I'm sure I say a lot of things wrong. But be on your guard against false teachers and ignorant people who claim to know and understand the eternal things that they have no clue about. And we are awash in these things. You have to know what God has commanded that we know. You have to know Him so that your stability is not taken away. 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. Practice these things, Paul tells Timothy. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about knowing. Immersing ourselves in them that our progress might be shown and evident to everybody. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Keep a close watch on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Know what you know. Know what the Scripture teaches us. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best. Strive. Work hard. To present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. Know what the Bible says. Work hard to understand it and to apply it. Show slow, no, and finally grow. And to me, this is the thing that kind of encompasses First and Second Peter. Peter just wants his readers, including us, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you stagnant in your walk? Are you atrophying? You don't use your muscles, what happens? They atrophy. They shrink. They lose their effectiveness. You're either growing in your faith and in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're either growing in grace or you're atrophying. What are you doing to grow? In the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You say, well preacher, what should I be doing? What am I going to say? You should read your Bible. 
You should assemble with the church. You should pray. Oh, it's all this stuff I got to do. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Not to be saved, but to show that you are saved. In the parables that Jesus taught about the sower and the rocks and all this other stuff, what was the mark of a true disciple in those parables? One word. It's not growth. It's fruit. No fruit. No salvation. You can't have fruit until you've grown. Growth is for the purpose of fruit. Increase and abound. Further up and further in, like I said earlier. What are you doing to grow? By the power of the Spirit who lives in and through you, church, what are you doing to grow? Growing takes watering and fertilizing and weeding. What are you doing in your life to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Watch this. Rather, Paul says in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, which means everybody has a part to play here, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me say this about growth. It's not just an individual issue. It's a corporate issue. God wants the growth of the whole body so that that body is building itself up in love. And finally, last passage. Colossians 2, 16-19. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. These are the scripture twisters, by the way. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. God's given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Make sure that you are equipping yourself with those things, that you are enabling yourself in the power of the Spirit to use these things that He has given in order to show, slow, know, To Him be the glory and dominion now and all time and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are patient with us. We thank You, God, that You have brought us to this point of Your redemptive plan and You're going to bring it to completion. We thank You for Peter and the work You did in and through his life. We thank You for his letters. We thank You for these months that we've just absolutely immersed ourselves in them. Now, God, help us to show that we know how to grow by the grace that you've given through these writings and the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to to be without spot or blemish or any such thing, knowing that you're working to accomplish that. And we get to cooperate with you and help each other in this process. You are faithful. Help us to be faithful as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just stand and receive a benediction. Now, to him who is able 
to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Stay neat with us.